This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. He's grossly overweight. He's jealous of his time spent away from his dining room table and his orchids. Okay, you know that I'm speaking of Nero Wolf, an eccentric genius who has an uncanny ability to solve crimes with the help of his assistant. Here's the episode entitled Brave Rabbit. Ladies and gentlemen, that phone bell means adventure. Hello? Hello? The young man answering the phone is Archie Goodwin. The mountain of a man engaged in deep thought in the oversized armchair is Nero Wolf. Mr. Wolf, we've got a case. I'm not sure whether somebody's going to kill a rabbit or a rabbit is going to kill somebody, but either way, it's going to be murder. Please, Mr. Wolf, even orchids have to eat. Yes, sir, Mr. Wolf will take the case. As a matter of fact, he's working on it right now. Money, work. Huh. Greatest detective in the world. Only trouble is, he is. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Archie is right. Nero Wolf is the greatest detective in the world. And the fattest. And the least energetic. Nero Wolf, created by Rex Stout, and brought to you over this NBC network in a new series of adventures by Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight, it's the case Nero Wolf likes to remember as the case of the friendly rabbit. He sometimes prefers his proverb scramble. It began in lots of places. Let's take a look at a few of them. In particular, the richly appointed library of a man named V. Mr. V, what's happening? Relax, Haynes, your blood pressure... I thought it was a gag, but you really are shutting the club down. I'm shutting it down. Why? I got the joint roll and the suckers are pouring in. And next week, the governor's committee. Huh? It's moving out of Baylor County. Our joint enterprise is in Baylor County. I think the club needs a rest. Crime committees so rarely admire gambling. Oh, that's different. So it is. The club needs a rest. You need a vacation. Florida, perhaps? I don't like Florida. Pick any place you like, just so long as you get out of reach of a subpoena. The heat's on, huh, boss? You've just coined a phrase that may very well catch on. Get out and stay out of the state until I send for you. Okay, Mr. V. Sure, Mr. Marshal? Yeah? That about covers us in Baylor, am I right? You're right. The dear governor's dear committee will be sorely disappointed. However, I doubt it'll give up quite so soon. I wouldn't think so. Therefore, have the truck driver deliver another shipment of carrots to the rabbit farm. Eh, Marshal? Okay, boss. 
in, Williams. Good afternoon, Governor. Good afternoon. Williams, I'm disturbed. The crime committee, sir? It was doing well, very well. And then... I know, sir. There's a leak. Someone is passing on confidential information. Who? That's the problem. Who? Started three weeks ago. A three-man committee? Wilson, McCarthy, Tolliver. One of them, Williams? I'd stake my life, sir, no. Then who? You've forgotten Collier, committee secretary. You have reason to suspect him? No, nothing that means anything. Except... You do suspect him. He's been watched, telephone calls, checked, mail. I have no reason to suspect him. Except that one thing bothers me. What's that? He has a small farm in Greendale County. He rarely went near the place in all the time he's been up here at the Capitol. But that suddenly changed. Three weeks ago? Yes, sir. He's been staying at the farm for three weeks. Is there anything unusual about that farm? Nothing unusual. Except Jimmy Collier has gone in for raising rabbits. Jimmy. Who is... Oh, hello, Claire. You've been hiding from me. I... I've been out here with the rabbits. Jimmy, what's wrong? With what? You. There's nothing. You're lying. We grew up together, remember? We lived next to each other, Jimmy. We were going to be married. Hey, wait a minute. We still are, last I heard. You haven't heard recently enough. What does that mean? It means we're not getting married. But, You've been avoiding me. And you've been getting money, lots of money, from someplace. And in a shady way, I feel. All right, you know. So what? I've been concerned about your sudden devotion to these... these rabbits... And the kind of men you've been seeing. What do you mean? Like the one up at the house now, waiting for you. Oh, there's somebody waiting? That's why I came down here after you. I'd better get up there. He's a crook, Jimmy. Look, I... All right. I sort of got myself in a mess. I needed money and... But it's over, Claire. No more. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. I wish I could believe you. For your own sake. But I feel I can't. Not anymore. Archie. Yes, Mr. Wolf. Either stop breathing so heavily or... Take the evening off? Stop breathing. Old Dr. Tidmouse wouldn't approve of that. Who in blue and assorted blazes is old Dr. Tidmouse? My family doctor. May have escaped your puny mind, but you don't have a family. Answer the phone. Oh, but it might be a case. It might be very important. It might mean work, Mr. Wolf. Archie. W-O-R-K. You've got millions in the bank. Why worry? Confound you. Do you want me to answer that phone myself? Now you've got me. No, Mr. Wolf. Couldn't let you knock yourself out lifting a telephone receiver. Nero Wolf's office. Archie Goodwin speaking. What? What? Wait, Mr. Wolf is to go up to Greendale at... Oh, now look, friend. Mr. Wolf does not go anywhere, and that includes Greendale. He wouldn't stir out of the house for anybody short of the... Uh, What? I see. Yes, sir, in an hour. Goodbye. Mr. Wolf, brace yourself. You've got an appointment with a Mr. Williams at the Starlight Hotel in Greendale for one hour from now. You're insane. No, I'll admit I've been tempted. Sure, were it not for the fact that often the native view of resolution is sickly door with a pale cast of thought... Quoting Hamlet will get you no place. I would fire you. And then who would drive you to the Starlight Hotel in Greendale? I'm not going to Greendale. Nevertheless, in an hour, you will be there. And who, may I inquire, Cecil? The governor of the state. Is that all, Mr. Williams? That, Mr. Wolf, is all anyone knows about the situation. 
Except the guilty man, of course. An admirably clear summary, Mr. Williams. Obviously, our meeting here at the hotel was necessary. I couldn't be seen entering your house, nor would it have been advisable for you to visit the governor. I can appreciate that. You're quite sure I need pay no attention to anyone on the committee except James Collier? Quite sure. Police surveillance of Collier is deemed unwise. He has suddenly taken interest in rabbits, but although keeping them may perhaps be considered suspicious, it is hardly in itself of value. You have no other evidence against Collier? I know we're clutching at straws, Mr. Wolf. But there is a leak and work is being nullified. Something must be done. Hence the governor's call for you. Very well, sir. I shall uh, attempt to be more than uh, a man clutching at a straw. (laughs) I said attempt. Archie, unpack. We shall stay at Greendale near Collier and his rabbits. Mr. Wolf. Oh, naturally, I know that shutting your eyes and pushing your lips in and out indicates you're thinking feverishly, but there's nothing for you to think about. Three. Oh, I accept your correction. What are you thinking about? Hotel beds. They're notoriously flimsy. Oh, you gave up on the case so soon. Fiddlesticks. I already know exactly what role the rabbits play in our problem. Therefore... We're going to drive out to Collier's farm? You are. While you test the hotel beds, fine. It will be necessary for you to spend the night at Collier's place. You will drive out there and pretend you've lost a cylinder or something. <laughs> oh, a lost cylinder. Oh, fine. Confound you, Archie. You can invent something plausible as a pretext. And if you are properly charming, Mr. Collier, will I hope invite you to stay the night. And during the night I sleep, hmm? Happily breathing the fresh country air. <laughs> Trust me. <not. laughs> okay, Mr. Wolf, I accept the assignment. I will learn all I can from Mr. Collier's rabbits. Incidentally, remember the play Harvey? I do. Why? Harvey was an invisible rabbit, a figment of a man's imagination. I hope this rabbit venture is more tangible, Mr. Wolf. It is, Mr. Goodwin. Will you desist in the pot? Okay, okay. Oh, uh, if anyone calls, just say I've gone out to Greendale to cross-examine a rabbit. Hmm? Archie! I think you're going to be quite surprised. Yes. (laughs) 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 Running out of gas and me such a big boy. Uh. <gasps> hello. Uh, hello? A tree, a friend of yours? The, the tree? Yeah, the one you're clutching. Oh, I, I was leaning against it. It's an idea, but not a good one. Trees are notoriously skittish. The instant you really need one, they're out sowing wild oaks or something. You sound as if you know a lot about trees. Oh, I do. I was brought up in one. Look, now, if you really have to lean, I can recommend... No, thanks. It. I tried. Nice moonlight we're having. My name is Goodwin, and blondes call me Archie. I'm not blonde. Brunettes call me Archie, too. And what do redheads call you? (laughs) Oh, we'll just skip that, huh? And your name is... Claire. Claire. I approve. Now, you may not believe this, but I have just run out of gas. You think I might wangle some up at your house? My house? You mean Jimmy's house. All right, I mean Jimmy's house. Well, I... I don't know. He might have some. Now, why don't we go up to the house and ask him? Well, 
All right. Mm-hmm. Jimmy who? Collier. Uh-huh. I like to be formal when I'm borrowing gas. Would you mind waving your left hand in front of my nose? Waving, Mike? Yes, just try it. Don't worry. I won't bite it. All right. I did. And very gracefully, too. No ring on the third finger. You're not Mrs. Collier. There isn't any Mrs. Collier. Are you applying for the position? Mr. Goodwin, I... Now, remember what I confided in you about brunettes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Archie, you're a little rapid. Maybe. But I always remember what old Dr. Tidmouse said. What did he say? Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying. Robert Herrick wrote that. He did? Dr. Tidmouse is a liar. How much farther is this house? Well, it's just beyond those trees. I... Oh! What? Oh, I... There was something ran across the path. It brushed my legs. It frightened me so. Must have been a rabbit. I I guess it was. Oh, I'm sorry. They were silly of oh, me. Don't worry about it. Also, you will have noticed how much more satisfactory I am than a tree. We're clutching at it. Moments of stress, I mean. Archie. Mm-hmm. But you better let go now. What I... And we'll get on to the house. See, I don't need a haircut, and you're not the right type for Delilah anyway. You mean something by that. Something nasty. Well, that depends. What I meant is you've already signaled whoever you're supposed to signal. Nothing frightened you back there. Why? That scream had a lot of carrying power. Oh, that's the house, huh? Looks peaceful enough. Archie, I... Who were you supposed to warn if anyone came up the path to the house? Well, no one. Something did frighten Honey, you. Honey, I've I... been lied to by experts, and you're not one. Oh, think I ought to knock? No, we don't think I ought to knock. Dark inside, except for a handful of moonlight filtering in through the windows. Kind of early for Collier to turn in, isn't it? I wouldn't know. Let's go find out. <gasps> now relax, relax. Grandpa's making with the chimes. Time is, yeah, ten o'clock. It's getting late. Come on. This would be the living room. Filled with early American furniture. The early Americans would be pleased. Nothing here. What's that door lead to? I... I don't know. Or won't tell? Smaller room. Darkest... Come in. Good to be here. Oh, you're not the bellboy. I'm sorry. I should have remembered to bring some beer. Indeed, and you are? I'm a fellow guest at this hotel, Mr. Wolf. My name is Deke. Deke, ah, yes. A criminal of moderate intelligence and immoderate pretensions. We won't quarrel, Mr. Wolf. I have something to offer you. You and your boy Goodwin didn't drive up to Greendale for the exercise. I dislike exercise. Shortens life. James Collier lives nearby. The Governor's Committee on Crime is unhappy. There's been a leakage of information. It hasn't helped them in their work. But it has helped you. You wouldn't have left your house in New York on any ordinary job. A request from the Governor, however... Shall we stop fencing? Hmm. I don't have to fence with you. The Committee's work doesn't particularly bother me. I've already made my arrangements for retiring from active business, shall I say? However, I don't want you messing around in the meantime. Indeed. 
In your effort to discover how the committee's information leaked out, you might also discover a number of things about me that I prefer to remain undiscovered. No one has employed me to do anything about you, sir? Not directly, but indirectly you might have to. I want to insure myself against any such possibility. I want to make a deal with you. I'm ready to supply you with the name of the man responsible for the leak and papers proving his guilt. I have them here. In return to which you expect... A quick conclusion to your activities and your return to New York, leaving my name out of your reports. I'm neither a public official nor a philanthropist. As you do nothing about you unless it becomes necessary. You may remove your hand from your pocket. You wouldn't dare shoot me. Now then. The name of the man. James Collier. Proof of his guilt? These. A series of reports on the committee's meetings in Collier's handwriting. Thank you. Good night, sir. Good night. And I hope for your sake that we do not meet again. Phew. Archie, answer it. Oh. Hello? Mr. Wolf? Yes, Archie? I'm at the Collier place. Since it takes only ten minutes to get there, may I congratulate you on your speed? I've been at the Collier place for nearly an hour. Doing what? Oh, meeting Claire for one thing, discussing Rosebud. Your delay has been explained. Good night. And for another, I was being around when someone got murdered. Ah, you laid hands on the murderer? No, the room was dark. The time I got Claire untangled from me and started looking for somebody with a gun, he'd left. I see. And the dead man, of course, is James Collier. No, sorry. Found it, it had to be. Who was he? Total stranger. Ah, I'm not being difficult. There was no identification on him. Strange. A description. Early 30s, height maybe 5'10", weight around 175 pounds. Blonde hair, blue eyes, very natty dresser. Suit custom tailored with a built-in shoulder holster. Don Juan shirts. Manicured but very dirty fingernails. And he... Uh-oh. Company. You please? Very well, you tell them whatever you think proper, without mentioning the governor's committee, of course. You'll then bid them farewell and come to the hotel. Can't I say goodbye to Claire, too? You cannot. Confound you, Archie. Do you think I want to wait up all night? Police were not happy about letting me go, but I threatened to tell you on them, so they gave up. You have told me the entire story of what occurred at the Collier Farm, Archie? Mm Mm-hmm. All details. If you like, I wouldn't mind repeating the parts about Claire. Fooey. You may call it fooey, I call it love. By the way, did you know that it was Robert Herrick who wrote that book? Confound you, be quiet. Okay, push your lips around, but you've missed something. I have? Mm-hmm. The burning question of the day. Night, brother. Which is? Where is James Collier? Ah. Stop buying. The cops want him on suspicion of murder. The way it shapes up, he shot our unknown pal and then headed for the nearest border. Nonsense. Mean he didn't shoot our unknown pal? I mean, Collier's whereabouts are not a mystery. You know where he is? I know where he is. I don't believe it. You couldn't know. You haven't been out of the hotel. You haven't had any calls. Archie, I use my intelligence. If you had used yours instead of holding the girl... I still wouldn't know where Collier is. Never mind. I'm impressed. What do I do now? You get Mr. Veek on the phone. Huh? He's staying here at the hotel. Oh, old home week. Operator. Mr. Veek, please. Hello, Mr. Veek? Who is this? Mr. Wolf wants to speak with you. Just a second. Here you are, sir. Thank you. Mr. V, where were you at 10 o'clock? Why, on my way to the hotel. 
You checked in at 10. 10.15, then came directly to your room. One other question. You have an employee, a man in his early 30s, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and well-dressed. Am I correct? Yes, that is Marshall. No, that was Marshall. Good night, sir. Having done that, whatever it meant, we now go to sleep? Hooray, we go to the Collier Farm. Okay, but why? Because, Archie, uh... <laughs> the time has come to cross-examine the rabbits. <laughs> Confound you, Archie. You're not driving a truck. Be careful. Truck drivers are careful. Also, they're courteous. Indeed. Furthermore, they will always stop to help a motorist in time of trouble. Archie, are you training to become a truck driver, or have you fallen in love with a truck driver's daughter? Her name is Susie, a hair the color of wheat fields at high noon. Never mind turning purple. I'm about to change the subject. Boss, I have a theory. Stick to truck drivers. As follows. Our boy Collier, who had been selling information to Veek, had a change of heart and decided to turn ethical. But Veek's man, Marshall, at Veek's orders, tried to apply pressure, so Collier shot him and headed for Canada. Uh, and the girl's robe. Must have brightened my life. Uh. Oh, you mean about her playing sentry? Well, she's in Veek's employ, too. Sorry. Don't like my theory. It's charming. It merely happens to be wrong. Merely happens to be... Why is it wrong? Because Archie of a dead man's dirty fingernails, Marshall's fingernails. Oh. Well, you made me bring you to the rabbit hutches. We have arrived. There are the rabbits. Go ahead, cross-examine them. Hmm, good many hutches. A large pen for the rabbits to run about in. Notice that they're all cowering at the far end of the pen, ran as we entered. That's because they don't like us, maybe, huh? <laughs> One of them, however, seems to be friendly. The one up here, in at the corner opposite us. Oh, yeah, there is one here. He's not friendly, Mr. Wolf. Indeed? He's dead. Somebody stove in his skull. Interesting. What's interesting about a dead rabbit? He may be dead now, Archie, but he was friendly. Too friendly. Claire, this is Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf, this is Claire. Claire, I'm Archie. Ah, chair, Archie. A chair. Try this one. Be gentle with it. If you break it, all the early Americans will hate you. It was her. Uh... Steady. Oh. Ah. Well, now then. Mr. Wolf, I'm dreadfully tired. The police have... Are idiots. What? For example, do they know that you were posted as sentry outside this house in order to warn James Collier of any intrusion? Well, they don't... I wasn't. I... Do they know that James Collier and the dead man Marshall were quarreling? No. Do they know that James Collier had armed himself in preparation for this meeting with the gunman? That isn't true. It I... is true. I don't have to say anything. You've already said more than enough with your actions, my dear. What, what do you mean? According to Archie's report, and Archie's always meticulously accurate, when you and he opened the door of the room in which the murder took place, you screamed at the shots. Well, of course. Any girl would scream with... Then you clung to Archie with sufficient force and for sufficient length of time to prevent him from chasing the murderer. Why? I... Because you had seen and recognized the murderer as the man you loved. It was too dark to see anything. True. Therefore, you didn't have to see the man. You thought you already knew who the killer had to be. That, that's a lie. You're shielding James Collier, aren't you? 
I'll never admit any of it. Never. May not be necessary. Haji. Yes, Mr. Wolf. Get all of that policeman outside and remember what happened to one particular rabbit. Well, uh, look around for freshly dug earth. Midnight. What are we waiting for? In return? Archie's? No, it'll take him longer. Well, then whose? <gasps> Mr. Veek's, of course, complete with the revolver. Come in, Mr. Veek. It couldn't have been easier. No one outside, only the two of you here. I warned you, Wolf. Fiddlesticks, you merely tried to use me as a prop for an alibi and a rationalization for a motive. I don't understand. Mr. That. Wolf does. Indeed I do. Did you really think me fool enough to believe your proposal, Mr. Veek? It was plausible. It was nonsense. You pretended you were handing James Collier plus the proofs of his guilt over to me in an effort to keep yourself out of the picture. But your proposition was silly. No matter how much I might have wanted to help you, I would have been powerless once James Collier went before a jury. You're too intelligent not to know that. That couldn't have given you enough to go on. It didn't. You yourself gave me more. I did. When you came to my room, you told me you knew Mr. Goodwin and I had come to Greendale, checked in at the hotel. I did. However, when I phoned you later and asked for an account of your movements between 10 and 10.30, you replied that you had driven to the hotel, signed in, and came directly to my room. Obviously, you already knew of my presence in the hotel. How? I, uh... Only one way you could have known. You'd seen Archie at some time prior to the time you checked into the hotel. And the only place where Archie was... Was here, at the farm. Yes, which told me Mr. Veek had been here at the time of Marshall's death. What was Veek doing here? Only one thing. Murder. <gasps> then he killed the gunman. No other possibility. But, Jimmy, I thought he did it. James Collier couldn't have killed Marshall because at the time he was killed, James Collier was already... Already dead. What's this? Leave it. Leave it. Let's play. Drop that gun first. My arm. Oh. That's nice and cooperative. So. Oh. You'll be quiet for a while. A cop is back in the rabbit pen, Mr. Wolf, guarding Collier's grave. Grave, Archie? Yeah. With James Collier in it. Oh. Poor Jimmy. Veek knew the expose was coming. He had to shut Collier up. So he had his gunman, Marshall, kill Collier and bury him in the rabbit run back of the hutches. You spotted that, boss, because of... A dead rabbit. The others scudded away from the man who bore James Collier's body to that lonely spot. But one rabbit overcame his fear. He was too friendly. And got killed for it. There was that and... And the dirty fingernails of Marshall, the gunman who killed and buried James Collier. Your description indicated extreme neatness. The dirty fingernails were a wrong note. Yeah, indicated he'd been digging. So we know now, don't we? Veek killed his own trigger man to frame a dead man for it. Collier would be thought guilty. He'd be hunted among the living. And all the while... Oh, I'm... I'm sorry, Claire. It's all right, Archie. I didn't love Jimmy. That was all washed up. Mr. Wolf. I understand everything, except why did Jimmy suddenly start staying at the farm with the rabbits? He knew he'd be watched. He couldn't risk conveying his information by telephone or the mails. Nor could he be seen holding conversation with men who might be traced to Veek. But 
who would suspect a truck driver delivering carrots for the rabbits as being the go-between for Jimmy Collier and Beak. Nero Wolf. Which is why I hope there's an adequate bed in this house for Mr. Wolf. I'm sure I'll be able to find one. Splendid, Archie. You will have the police remove Mr. Veek, and then... And then maybe Claire would like to uh, go gathering rosebuds, huh? By moonlight? I would like to. Sure. I shall go up to bed now. I've seen the moonlight more times than I care to remember. However, while you and Miss Claire stroll through the moonlight, Archie... Yeah? You might remember that rosebuds have thorns. <laughs> You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program, produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Larry Dobkin as Archie Goodwin, and Martha Shaw, Hal Gerard, Herb Butterfield, Howard McNear, and Bill Johnstone. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Impolite Corpse. Don Stanley speaking. Stay tuned for the Bob Hope Show that first aired in 1946. Time now for the guy who is a master of the one-liners, Bob Hope. And the show that first aired in 1946, Bob's Hometown. For the safety of your smile, use Pepsodent twice a day. See your dentist twice a year. Tonight from his hometown, Cleveland, Ohio, we bring you the Pepsodent Show, starring Bob Hope. well-fed relatives. <laughs> How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob back in his hometown of Cleveland Hope telling you folks in Ohio to use Pepsi and your teeth will never look warm. You'll always be able to chew a lima, and after you start dating, you'll soon be marrying. It'll be a good alliance because there won't be any tiffin'. And I hope you see their point. That's all, Loco, but this is my hometown. Cleveland. Cleveland is all decorated for the sesquicentennial. Nice way of cleaning your teeth. <laughs> yes, sir. There are signs everywhere saying 150 years old, and I'm still trying to catch the guy who put them all under my picture. <laughs> we had a wonderful plane trip in here on the Constellation, the Constellation that Buck Rogers' dream come true. We came across in the stratosphere. In fact, we were so high, W.C. Fields flew escort for us all the way to Kansas City. <laughs> 
a trip over the Rockies. The stewardess served lunch. I said, why peppermint sticks for lunch? He said, that's celery. Your nose is bleeding. I looked out of the window and I saw a guy floating by in midair. I said, hey, what are you doing out there without a parachute? And he said, I don't need one. I'm Ray Milan. <laughs> but I had a wonderful trip. I didn't feel a thing until we landed at Cleveland and the stewardess helped me out from under my seat. <laughs> when we flew in over the city and I saw Cleveland, a lump came in my throat. It was that apple I tried to swallow over Albuquerque. <laughs> but I want to tell you that Constellation has got every accommodation. In fact, when you're ready for breakfast, you stick your hand out the window and an eagle lays a fresh egg in it. <laughs> the pilot kept saying the plane was as comfortable as your living room, and he was right, although I did feel sorry for the saxophone player who opened the door and stepped out after the milk. <laughs> and when we arrived here in Cleveland, what crowds at the airport? The police had the ropes up, but I demanded a trial first. <laughs> this old town of Cleveland. Somehow, even the wind off the lake doesn't seem as cold as it used to be. Of course, I've got underwear now. <laughs> I've got a brother here in the wholesale meat business. He had trouble with shortages, but he's getting plenty of meat now. The Cleveland Indians are selling them all their old ball players. <laughs> And if Tris Speaker's listening, I'm only kidding. <laughs> a good portion of my family still lives in Ohio. I got a brother doing fine down at Canton and another one doing five at Columbus. <laughs> when, I, when I left Cleveland ten years ago, my father said I would go a long way. In fact, he nailed the door of the boxcar shut just to make sure. <laughs> well, I lived in a neighborhood here where the people were poorer than church mice. And you know, church mice used to be awfully poor until Crosby made going my way. <laughs> that personally. And I went back and paid a visit to my old schoolroom and sat in my old desk. And there was the same old inkwell, the same old books, and the same old shaving kit. <laughs> They're very proud of me out of Fairmont School, though. In fact, on my old desk is a bronze plaque that said, Bob Hope slept here. Time restrictions are ending. Now the toothpaste you wanted is here. It's a new, better-than-ever Pepsodent toothpaste with twice as much irium. This new Pepsodent has a wonderfully refreshing taste, a cleaner, brighter taste that means cleaner, brighter teeth. This new Pepsodent with twice as much irium cleans teeth better, cleans better between teeth, makes your breath cleaner, fresher, too. You've never had a finer toothpaste. And never an introductory value like this. Right now, you can get two tubes of new post-war Pepsodent for only 29 cents. Yes, two 25-cent tubes. A 50-cent value for only 29 cents. Get this new Pepsodent. Compare it with any toothpaste you've used before. Compare its taste. Compare results. See how quickly, how safely this new Pepsodent with twice as much irium removes the film that makes your teeth look dull. See how new Pepsodent cleans teeth better. Cleans better between teeth, too. 
See how fresh it makes your whole mouth feel. Compare it now during the sensational introductory offer. Get two 25-cent tubes of new, improved Pepsodent for only 29 cents. A 50-cent value for only 29 cents. Don't delay. Oh, you won't be satisfied until you break my heart. You're never satisfied until the teardrops stop. I tried to shower you with love and kisses. But all I'll ever get from you is nagging and bragging. My poor heart is sagging the way you toss my heart around. The crying shame. I bet you wouldn't like it if I did the same. You're only happy, Karen. All my dreams apart. Oh, you won't be satisfied until you break my heart. Satisfied, sung by Skinny Ennis, the only singer in radio who can make one lung sound like none. <laughs> Edgar, step in. What did you think of that fast flight in from Los Angeles on the Constellation this morning? And we came in so fast, I didn't even have time to take a breath. Well, that didn't make any difference. Today wasn't your day to breathe anyway, was it? <laughs> huh? You know, but it's almost unbelievable, Skinny, that the Constellation could bring us from Los Angeles here in 11 hours and 40 minutes. Bob, it didn't take 11 hours and 40 minutes, did it? Oh, yeah. Seven hours from California to Cleveland and four hours through traffic from the airport to the Carter Hotel. <laughs> did it in the bus I was in, anyway. Say, uh, how did you like your accommodations on the Constellation coming in? Well, not bad, but I was a little cramped. Cramped? You shouldn't have been. I thought you'd be very comfortable in there. Yeah, but those golf clubs take up a lot of room in the bag, too. Can't understand it. I took the putter out. By the way, Scan. Say, <laughs> while we're in Cleveland, I'd like to show you the street I was born on. Street? What's the matter? Couldn't you afford a hospital? <laughs> well, in those days, they had long traffic signals. But, you know, Scan... <laughs> Even named a street after me here in Cleveland. Well, so what? They named the street after me in North Carolina, too. I know, but mine's not a dead end. <laughs> Man, how can you stand there with your hat off and say that? <laughs> oh, 
How can you stand with your hat off while shut my face, boy? Hello, Kitty. Well, Francis Langford, look at him. What did you say? I said, hello, Lester. Lester? Yes. Never let you look at my family album again. <laughs> well, Francis, Kitty and I were just talking about the trip on the Constellation. Wasn't it wonderful? I thought so, but surely you didn't have much fun pouting all the way. Well, you'd have pouted, too. Oh, Bob, the pilot couldn't open the window just so you could hold your paper windmill out. <laughs> See, Bob, I meant to ask you... Were your folks glad to see you? Not particularly, Francis. They were just as happy getting it through the mail. <laughs> I send the big tube every week, you know. <laughs> but I got a great thrill getting off the plane at the airport and seeing Major Barry and seeing all those people out there. Well, I imagine so, but weren't you carrying it a little too far, running up and kissing that one man? Well, you wouldn't understand, Francis. You didn't have a draft for it. <laughs> <laughs> Really, he was the mayor. Wasn't it nice of him to give me the keys to the city? Yes, he thought. He said he thought that would be best. He thought that would be best? Mm-hmm. After you left last time, it was so much trouble digging those hairpins out of all the locks. <laughs> that shouldn't have been me. I'm a paperclip man. Well, it must have been interesting looking up the old landmarks you used to know. Yes, too bad so many of them are married. Francis, where are you staying? Oh, I'm stopping at the Carter Hotel, Bob. Oh, really? Well, I'm stopping at the Carter, too. I know, but they gave me a room. <laughs> oh, well, what do I care? The janitor's a pretty good gin rummy player. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, it's a real pleasure now to bring you a friend of mine, a former golf partner and one of the outstanding political figures of our state of Ohio. The governor, His Excellency Frank J. Lausche. Thanks, Bob, and thank you, Democrats. <laughs> Welcome to the Fabsident Show, Governor. Thank you, Bob, and I can only say it's a pleasure for me to appear with one of America's most talented personalities. No wonder this guy's Governor. <laughs> oh, you didn't have to say that, Governor. I know, Bob, but in my business, a vote is a vote. <laughs> You must really be popular here. I even saw a Republican applauding. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. You saw a Republican applauding. Well, he wasn't exactly applauding. He was clicking two bricker buttons together. <laughs> but, Governor, I tell you, it was really decent of you to consent to appear in our program. It's all right, Bob. I don't run for re-election until next fall, and by that time, the public might forget. <laughs> You bring a writer up from Columbus with you, kid? Uh, by the way, Governor, don't you think that you could find me some sort of a political job? You know, radio is pretty shaky, and you never know when the sponsor's liable to turn the power off, you know. Well, right at the moment, Bob... Well, I, I don't mean anything big, Governor. Just a little something in the day coach of the official gravy train. 
small pig's knuckle in the old pork barrel, huh? <laughs> For instance, how about me going to banquets with you and sneering back at the Republicans? <laughs> Bob, please, you have the wrong idea entirely. In Ohio, we always play ball with the Republicans. You play ball with the Republicans? Yes, of course. We make sure they don't spend too much time up at bat. <laughs> <laughs> But, Bob, you haven't lived in Cleveland for ten years, have you? No, I haven't. And you've made pretty good money now, don't you? Well, not bad. What about it? Well, Bob, I have a lot of influence, but I regret to say, after this year, I'll have to stop your relief show. Well, summer's coming, and I can always reopen my frozen custard booth at Euclid Beach, anyway. Governor, tell me confidentially, is, is that rumor true that you have ambitions to get to the White House? Why, Bob, how did a rumor like that ever start? Last week, a piano teacher was seen sneaking in your back door. <laughs> Bob, I guess you've been pretty busy since you arrived here, haven't you? Yes, I haven't even had time to see my old home. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Bob. But I guess they haven't told you. Told me about what? Our recent slum clearance program. <laughs> I can always Bob. go to my country home in Warrensville. It's all. Tell me, Bob. The local Riviera. Are you going to be here for the National Golf Open at Canterbury? Oh, no, you don't, Gov. You can't rope me into a game after that last game we played. Oh, I see. You're just jealous because I won. Well, eh? no wonder you can't beat a governor. What do you mean by that? Well, when I made that hole in one, the police commissioner ran over, shoved a machine gun in my face, and said, What a wonderful shot the governor just made. Now let's see what you can do. <laughs> more than I can stand, I give up. <laughs> well, Bob, I want to thank you sincerely for bringing your show back here to Cleveland and to add another word of thanks for the many things you've done to improve the city of Cleveland. Oh, well, that's very sweet, Governor, but wait a minute. What improvement did I make? I left Cleveland in 1928. Well, that doesn't leave much for me to say. You asked the question and answered it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Venus and 
With wartime restrictions ending, the new toothpaste you wanted is here. It's the better-than-ever new Pepsodent toothpaste with a cleaner, brighter taste that means cleaner, brighter teeth. This wonderfully refreshing new Pepsodent contains twice as much irium, the exclusive cleansing ingredient that only Pepsodent can give you. You've never had a finer toothpaste and never an introductory value like this. Right now, you can get two tubes of new post-war Pepsodent for only 29 cents. Yes, two 25-cent tubes, a 50-cent value for only 29 cents. Get it, compare it with any toothpaste you've used before. See how quickly, how safely, this new Pepsodent with twice as much irium removes the film that makes your teeth look dull. See how it cleans teeth better, cleans better between teeth, makes your breath cleaner, fresher, too. Compare it now while you can get two 25-cent tubes of new Pepsodent toothpaste for only 29 cents. This introductory offer is limited, so act at once. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, in honoring Cleveland's sesquicentennial, we had planned to give you a botany playlist tonight, but upon arriving here and learning that a sesquicentennial is not a flower... Bob decided to change at the last minute, so we will now present some episodes from the early life of Bob Hope or Nature Strikes Back. <laughs> we take you back to the night of May 23rd, 1911. The stork is winging its way through the sky above Cleveland. <coughs> Darn that soft coal. When Papa Hope comes home from work, he peeks at little Robert lying in his crib and says happily, well, What do you know? A swordfish. <laughs> but little Robert showed early signs of becoming a child prodigy. Was really a surprise to his parents, and without warning, he uttered his first word. Da-da! Da-da! Isn't that wonderful, Father? And just think, he's only 14. <laughs> 
Finally, at the age of 16, Bob Hope teams up with another kid and goes into vaudeville. Tell me, Mr. Bones, what's a cow? What's a cow? You heard me, what's a cow? That's a horse that's going bowling. <laughs> and Bob grew up and went out to Hollywood to win fame and fortune, but he never forgot his folks. Each week, he sends them a box of apples, which they sell on the corner of Prospect in Ontario. And now we find Bob's parents in Cleveland, Ohio, living in the little house that Bob built for them. The rain will soon stop, Ma. Keep treading water. Can't understand it, Paul. The roof never leaked before. Well, I was up there yesterday and forgot to screw the cap on it. <laughs> Gee, I sure wish we'd get a letter from our son, Robert. What for, Paul? There's never anything in him but writing. <laughs> doing out in Hollywood now? Same old thing, I guess. Oh, really? That's odd. I heard he got a job. <laughs> About time he took your exercise, ain't it, Paul? Yeah, I guess so, Ma. Here goes. Okay, now for the toes and the other foot. Paul, <laughs> oh, the mortgage is due today. If our son Robert don't get here with the $10,000, we'll lose the old homestead. Well, what of it, Ma? If we get kicked out, all we got to do is go around any apartment building and rent an apartment. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, Pa. There's lots of vacant places around. Yeah, Dee, that was fun, Ma. Now, this time you light up and blow the smoke in my face. <laughs> Don't you worry, Ma. Our son Robert will get here with the money. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hey. Hey. There must be a party line. There's a horse on the phone. <laughs> Colonna, are you the banker? Right. J. Vance Warrington, Colonna. <laughs> Railroads consolidated, bands amalgamated. Also, butter sold at midnight under the high level bridge. My son sent me a check last week that should have covered it. How much was his check for? I can't tell. You can't tell? No, it hasn't stopped bouncing yet. <laughs> you know, Professor, for a banker, you sound a little jerky. Well, I, I'm chilly, Hope. I spent all day in the Frigidaire. What were you doing in the Frigidaire? Figuring up frozen assets. <laughs> it's no use pleading. Get the mortgage money and have it at your house tonight. I'll be there at six with the hot needles and firing squad. <laughs> You're really money mad. Well, you see, Hope, I... I want all the things I never had as a child. Wine, women, and a mink string for my yo-yo. Colonna, <laughs> tell me, how can you be so tight? Easy, Hope. Every morning, alum on my Wheaties. Colonna? <laughs> we haven't got the money to pay the mortgage. What are you going to do to us? Well, don't worry about a thing. There's a man right here in the bank now explaining why he can't pay his mortgage. And he isn't the least bit nervous about it. Of course, he stutters a bit. <laughs> but now, will Bob Hope Jr. arrive in time to save the family homestead? Will Professor Colonna's mustache get back from the dry cleaners before Wednesday? Will the sponsor put up with this kind of a program much longer? Keep <laughs> 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 tuned in and try and find out. We now take you to the cabin of a speedy constellation. Bob Hope is forward, anxiously talking to the pilot. Are you sure we're going to make it, pilot? I've got to get there for the mortgage. We got enough gas? Enough gas? 
We've been out of gas since Chicago. Out of gas since Chicago? What have we been flying on? Never mind that. Just keep talking. <laughs> I won't have enough gas to land. You better bail out. Okay, I've got the parachute on. Don't forget, jump. Count to ten, then pull the ripcord. Okay, here I go, Geronimo! One, two, three. Eight, nine, ten. Here's my house right over here, Skin. You can do these things in radio. I'll go in and surprise Ma. Well, lousy sakes, it's done, Robert. Come home with the mortgage money. The mortgage money? What mortgage money? Hey, Ma, I got money. Let me back in. Just in time. Banker Cologne is foreclosing the mortgage. We can't pay. Well, if you can't pay the mortgage, then I'll have to take your daughter with me. Cologne, there are no girls in the family and put me down. <laughs> Besides, Cologne, where's your heart? Don't you know that the quality of mercy is not strained? What's that? The quality of mercy is not strained. What do you say to that? Makes it pretty lumpy, doesn't it? <laughs> Listen, we shouldn't be discussing this in front of the old folks. We'll go over to your office. Where is it? Over in Asta. Eula? Glad to know you. If you're wrong, I'm Kelowna. We're going to pull this kind of stuff at Higby's tomorrow at three, huh? Kelowna, why aren't you a sporting man about this mortgage? We'll duel for the mortgage. All right, so. We'd better hurry or I'll be working with Red Skelton. Where is that? Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Fine. I'll just take this 45 revolver and you, you lucky man, take this bow and arrow. Sounds like a pair arrangement. Ready. Ready. I'll count three. One, two, three. Ow! <laughs> Didn't know I was a Cleveland Indian. All thanks to memory of being asked to share in this great big affair. From coast to coast, no better host than the American Legionnaire. And we thank you so much. Thanks to Governor Frank J. Lauschy and all you Clevelanders for being with us tonight. You were wonderful. Governor, you were great, really. Also, I'd like to say thanks again to Captain Pat Gallup, Chief of Operations for TWA, and that wonderful crew for making our trip in the Lockheed Constellation so delightful. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Richard Diamond, followed by our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.